Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode deals with serious and distressing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is Beth. While I've got you, if you love How I Survived, please rate, review and subscribe. It helps other fans like you find us too. I heard bang, 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 bang. And then I just started seeing people drop. I felt a bullet go straight over my head all of a sudden. Then it was just, it was absolute pain. It was so hot, like someone had just poured boiling lava right over me. This is How I Survived. Stories of everyday people and how they survived against the odds. I'm your host, Beth Young. You know, am I going to die or what? I mean, I I look back at it now and I thought, you know, how did I ever survive that? I think that I probably survived for a reason. How I Survived. It was September 2013 and married couple Andrew and Kathy McLaren were enjoying a beer in the sunshine. For the past six months, they'd been living in Kenya with Andrew's job at an olive oil company. While their weekdays were spent working in the countryside, on weekends they'd head to the capital, bustling Nairobi. Although they'd made a big group of friends and loved many aspects of their life overseas, they were looking forward to going home to New Zealand in three days' time. Kathy, in particular, missed the safety of living down under. You kind of have to have a bit of a thick skin living over there. Like, you do see a lot of poverty um, and, you know, and that petty crime and, you know, a bit of violence and stuff. It's not really not what we're used to. So we both kind of got to the point where we were like, oh, we've become too desensitised to this and it doesn't feel right. That's not something that we're used to and we were just, like, really ready to come home. But relaxing on the balcony of Art Caf, an upmarket eatery in Nairobi's Westgate Mall, sipping on a cold one, their minds were on the weekend ahead. Having just bought tickets for the Rugby Sevens game, they were waiting for some friends to arrive. It was about 20 past 12 and we're, we're sitting there and I, I said to Kath that I was gutted that we were going home so early because that time of the year the jacaranda trees come out, the sun's out, everything's starting to get really green. It's it's just it's a really lovely time of year. I heard a car back and you hear that all the time. And about two seconds later I heard bang, 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 bang. Honestly, my initial thought was who's letting fireworks off in, in the middle of the day? Like, you know... I just didn't even register. And then I started hearing it again, and then I just started seeing people drop. Just in that moment, I reached out to Kath and said, get down, get down. That's when everything sort of went haywire. When I realised that it was shooting, we literally just got straight down on the ground. But as I was falling, I must have been hit, and it just didn't register. And I lay on the ground, and all I could feel was just like this heat. And then I felt my bullet go straight over my head. 
inches away from my head and it hit the planter box right in front of me. I just kept shouting, stay down, stay down. And then I felt a really, really large, almost like I'd been hit by a shovel in, in the back. All of a sudden, then it was just absolute pain, and it was so hot, like it, someone had just poured boiling lava right over me, and uh, I just started shouting to Kath, I've been shot, I've been shot. I crawled over to Kath, and I just I kept her head down, we just, we just stayed down, and I sort of lay on her, and the screams of people, and you know, we couldn't see what was going on, we didn't know where the bullets were coming from. We didn't know what was really occurring. Then we had a grenade go off, Again, I don't know where, but we got grenade shrapnel come towards us. I got quite a lot in the right side of my body. Andrew and Kathy didn't know it yet, but the mall was under siege. Four masked terrorists from the extremist group Al-Shabaab had stormed the shopping centre with guns and were on a mission to kill. Chilling CCTV footage showed them entering in civilian clothing while holding assault rifles. Stalking the mall, they were shooting anyone and everyone they encountered, while also throwing grenades into groups of innocent shoppers and diners. We really didn't know what was going on. I think obviously a lot of people were panicked and screaming and just everybody was on the ground. A few people had ran inside. We were on the balcony. Once Andrew had been hit, it was, I kind of just went into, we've got to get out of here mode and was just thinking, oh, do we go inside? Is this just somebody shooting outside? Like, we really had no idea the extent of it. We, luckily, we had somebody actually say to us, don't go in there. They said they'd seen um, somebody run in and get shot and they said, no, the gunman's inside, the gunman's inside. We just stayed out on the balcony trying to address the situation and figure out how we were going to get out of here safely. It was carnage. And while the world seemed to lapse into slow motion, Kathy knew she had to get Andrew help fast. There was tables and chairs knocked down all around us, but I could see he had a, his, the entrance wound from a bullet in his back. Um, and, and, and I could see the blood actually pulsing out of him, so I knew it was really serious. Um, and as soon as I saw it, I just put my hand on it and kind of just held it there. They were trying to stay down, but he started having trouble breathing because basically his chest was filling up with liquid and putting pressure on his lungs. So he was like not getting enough oxygen, not breathing properly. And I do remember saying to him, you, you can't die. <laughs> you really can't die here. You've got to stay awake and you've got to stay with me. Hearing gunshots and grenades all around her, Kathy knew it wasn't safe to go back inside the mall. With the help of some of the cafe staff, Kathy propped her husband up so he could breathe and they tied an apron around his middle where he was bleeding. It had been only a matter of minutes since they'd been enjoying a beer, but now they faced a fight for their lives. Time slowed right down for me. I could tell you almost exactly in slow motion what people were wearing. Um, I could tell you about the seven construction workers that were in the building across the road, what they were wearing, you know, the different coloured hats they had on, the music that was playing in the um, cafe stereo, which was Children by Robert Miles, incidentally. Everything sort of slowed down. So for me, like, it felt like an absolute age that we were there. But, I mean, Kathy's recollection, we were there for about 20 minutes. I, I remember the fear at the time, but I don't remember the pain. I was thinking to myself, you know, is this, this is it? This is how I'm going to go? 
And I guess in, in, a, in a way, I sort of made peace with that. It was a weird time. With the help of some cafe staff, Kathy and Andrew jumped over the ground floor balcony and fell the four feet to the ground below. The staff knew that they still weren't safe, so together they all ran for their lives. You know, they said, you've got to run, you've got to run. And we, we jumped over the balcony and, you know, had a big gaping hole in my side. I had a bullet in my back, I had grenade shrapnel, and we just started running. We ran towards the road and Kath managed to wave down a taxi randomly. The two Kenyan guys from the mall, uh, Paul and Titus, they hopped in and they just said, you know, go, go, go. And the taxi driver started driving and every time they got to some traffic, they jumped out and they were pushing, you know, trying to get cars to move out of the way so we could get through on the way to Aga Khan Hospital. I remember leaning forward with my head. I was in the back seat and my forehead was on the headrest of the front seat. And um, Kath's got her arm around me and, you know, she's like, you can do this, you can do this. I don't know how long it took us to get to the hospital, but I remember getting out of the car and actually walking through the emergency and the uh, the doctor or the nurses that that saw me in triage like they initially thought that we'd just been carjacked they didn't even know what was going on at the mall and that was less than two kilometers away and it turned out that we were the very first people from the mall that had arrived at the hospital meanwhile the kenyan red cross captured footage of shoppers fleeing the mall The staff at Aga Khan Hospital didn't know it yet, but hundreds of people would soon be coming through their doors from Westgate Mall, while desperate loved ones would also be flooding through in the search for missing relatives. The gunmen were still on the loose in the mall and innocent people were still losing their lives. But for now, Andrew had to focus on keeping his. They rushed me straight into emergency then and there. I remember quite a bit, because by this stage, this is when the pain really had started to kick in. The adrenaline had had worn off. I was struggling to breathe. Things were starting to get a bit dim, to be fair. They rushed me into emergency, and I remember looking up, and there was a doctor there. You could kind of tell he was the boss of the place. And there was a, a nurse and a and a young Kenyan doctor that were that was working on me. And I, I was really struggling to breathe at this point. And I remember the nurse grabbing, putting two hands on either side of my head and looking me in the eye and said, Andrew, you need to be brave. This is going to hurt. We don't have time to give you anaesthetic. I sort of didn't really realise what she was saying. I was trying to concentrate on my breathing. And what I didn't really know at that point is one of my lungs had collapsed and the other was filling up with fluid. And what they did was they sliced me open, separated my rib cage, and plunged a chest tube into my lung to try and reinflate it and to get the liquid out. And I can tell you right now, the pain of that, I would rather have been shot again. It was just horrendous. Sitting in the waiting room with a colleague who'd rushed to the hospital to be with them, Kathy could hear Andrew's tortured screams. We were just out in the waiting room and we could hear him screaming, which was kind of, I felt kind of good about that because I knew that he was still alive because I knew that I could hear him, but it was the most awful thing you could ever hear from of your partner because he was, he was kind of begging to stop because it was so painful, obviously. So, yeah, it was awful to, to hear. And then I just remember looking at my hands 
and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm covered in his blood still. I really should wash my hands. Which is, you kind of go through these bizarre motions. The pain from the tube being inserted was so intense, Andrew literally passed out. Kathy was struggling to keep it together as more and more people from the mall arrived. People were starting to like look for family members who were in the mall. A woman came up to me and she had a photo of her sister and she was asking everybody, have you seen my sister? And I don't know where she is because obviously, you know, people were trying to phone people and, you know, like communications were starting to break down. Obviously lines getting jammed and all the rest of it because people were going into panic. It also started to get really quite real when like other people were starting to be told that people hadn't made it or weren't weren't in very good condition. I do remember, you know, people breaking down and crying and screaming and at that point I was like, I can't, I haven't heard what's wrong with Andrew. The last I heard was him screaming in pain and then, you know, nothing. Was on the verge of kind of having a bit of a breakdown, but I just thought, no, I can't, I can't do this right now. You know, I need to find out what's going on. Around two hours after they'd first arrived, Kathy and Andrew were finally reunited. He was stable, but a CAT scan had revealed Andrew had two bullets still lodged inside him, one in his shoulder and the other just two millimetres from his heart. It was a miracle he was alive. It was around this time they also discovered they'd been caught up in a terrorist attack. Andrew was still not out of the woods, and now they were also terrified for the friends they'd been waiting for at the mall. When Kath and I finally met up again, you know, I just kept saying, is everyone out? Are they, is everyone fine? And I was more concerned for their welfare than mine because, I mean, I was in hospital, I was breathing properly now. While I still had a massive gaping wound on the side, I mean, I, I was pretty confident I was going to get through through it. And so my, my focus shifted to them. Thankfully, all of their friends got out safely. Although nightfall had come, the terrorists were still inside firing. Locals were queuing around the block to donate blood and rumours were swirling that hundreds of people were dead and injured. When I realised it was a terrorist attack, I felt numb. The last thing you'd ever expect coming from a, from a small town in New Zealand is you're going to end up in, in a terrorist attack, one of, the, one of the biggest terrorist attacks, I think it's in the, in the top 10 terrorist attacks in the world, so it's pretty surreal. When I started finding out you know, the death count and the injury count, really started to hit me at how lucky we were. On the outside of the premises, you know, where Art Caf was, there was a food place right next to it called Urban Burger. And every single person that was in there had been killed. And we were contemplating going to Urban Burger, but we decided on Art Caf instead. So that really hit home when we found out that information. There was a guy that was in the bed next to me, Kelvin, He's a Kenyan guy that had been shot in the head and he told me his story that, you know, he lay on the ground pretending to be dead and the gunman walked up to him twice and kicked him to see if he was still alive. You know, there was CCTV footage of them actually doing that. It was mind-blowing, some of the stories that we had coming out. There was a guy, Giles, that was down the hallway from us that, you know, his wife had died in his arms and, and he had been shot as well. The stories that we had heard and the people that were that were really, really suffering just really brought it back to us at how severe this catastrophe was. After four days under siege, the Westgate Mall attack eventually came to an end. 
The gunmen were killed as the police took control and three floors of the building collapsed because of damage. 67 innocent customers, mall staff and visitors lost their lives, while over 200 people were left injured. While Andrew knows he was unlucky to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, he also sees himself as extremely lucky too. To put in perspective of how lucky I was, I guess if you go all the way back to the moment that I was shot, I always have a laugh that I got two free beers out of it because I didn't have to pay for them. But then from the moment I got shot, I managed to get out. I was the first person from the mall to the hospital. I had a very, very good surgical team that was on hand because they weren't dealing with anyone else at the time. I managed to get through the CAT scan. I was the only person that did before it broke down. I had a doctor, Dr. Raj Jutley. Now, Raj Jutley, he's a, he's a Kenyan-born Indian. At the age of 18, he moved to the UK to become a doctor. He lived in the UK for 23 years and had become a cardiothoracic surgeon and had literally just moved back to Kenya three months earlier to Aga Khan Hospital, and he's the only heart, lung, and thoracic surgeon in East Africa, and he was basically there to save my life. And he was the one that operated on me um, for the three operations that I had. And he's he said to me unequivocally that if I had gone to any other hospital, I would have died. Kathy's injuries were mainly superficial, just a few nicks and grazes. After three operations and 13 days in hospital, Andrew was well enough to go home to their Nairobi apartment to recuperate. After a week there, they flew back to New Zealand. It was pretty cool. Like arriving back in Auckland airport, we were greeted by both our mothers and my brother. And what I didn't realise is they had our dog, which we hadn't seen in seven months, and they'd brought him to the, to the airport. And that was for me, probably more emotional than anything else because, you know, we we love our dog. Settling back into normal life, they were happy to be home and safe. But Kathy, in particular struggled with memories from that day. She also found it hard to cope in March 2019 when New Zealand had a terrorist attack at a mosque and 51 people were killed. It wasn't really until we got back to New Zealand and everything had just kind of slowed down enough for me to kind of take stock of what had actually happened and how I was feeling. And um, we did get counselling together to kind of work through some of the stuff. It did, it changed me quite a bit. And at first, Andrew, you know, Andrew said he thought, you know, I'd become like a stronger person having to deal with it. But then I think that in the time afterwards, there becomes some sort of, there's always that emotional fallout where you just find certain things a lot harder than they used to be you know I don't deal with with death as well you know having such close quarters with it the the Christchurch attacks were really harrowing just I think it was more uh, being able to so closely sympathize with the people because you knew exactly what they were going through and you don't ever want anybody else to go through what we went through I know that I've had guilt around being a survivor because, um, you know, every year you think about those people that didn't make it. And that's really heartbreaking because they're, they're always going to be there. That's never, that's never going to go. And I just, you do think about their families and how they're coping and how they're getting on with everything. 
for Andrew, coming so close to death has given him a new perspective on life. I try not to sweat the small stuff anymore. Like, I don't let the little things... Cats look at me funny when I say this. Um, I don't let the little things like um, bug me so much anymore, although she'll probably tell me differently. I definitely sort of look at the big picture and, you know, concentrate on my family and my friends, and I'd rather spend more time with them and, and create memories rather than, you know, work as hard anymore. I think probably two things that I myself take out of the whole incident was one, I think it's brought Kath and I a lot closer together than than we were. And two, the friendships that we made through that time were oh, we were we were friends with people but we you know, we, we were sort of acquaintances that, that worked in a country and we hung out and now we're friends with these people that will be friends for life. That incident created those friendships. If I can look at positives, that's definitely what came out of it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss more incredible stories of survival. And of course, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It really helps. Next time. I knew we are in trouble. I just reached down to my son to pick him up. And as I came back up, we're basically underwater, getting dragged towards the ocean floor. If he stops breathing, I let go and I will go down with him. Because if he won't make it, I don't want to live. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.